I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Malachi as we pick up our study, walking through this important book that talks about what it means to worship the Lord rightly as we think about how great our God is, how deserving He is of worship. What we see in the book of Malachi is God's people struggling to worship the Lord in the right way. And as we are going to see this morning, leadership plays a key part in that. I don't know if you have heard the statement used before, everything rises and falls on leadership. You know, it's interesting when you look and you survey across our country, you look in politics, you look in sports, you look in business, people believe that that is true. I mean, just think about the amount of money companies or sports teams are willing to pay for the person who's up at the top. And just think about the fact that when they don't believe that that person at the top is doing a very good job, they're willing to pay millions of dollars to show them the door. But here's the question. And the question that the text raises this morning, what about leadership in the church? And what impact does ungodly leadership in the church or godly leadership in the church have on God's people who are seeking to worship him? I want to read the text for us this morning, and I want you to know that there's some graphic parts in the text. So heads up, church, as we walk through it. You may cringe at a couple of moments. You may wonder what's going on, but I want you to know how seriously God takes his name and his fame as we read the text this morning. I want you to notice as we work through these first nine verses of Malachi chapter two, what the priests in Israel were doing, what they were doing wrongly, how casually they were seeking to perform their duties, and we're going to unpack that here in just a little bit together, but here's what God's word says. Malachi chapter two, beginning in verse one, and now... O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. 
He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit this morning. We ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I want to catch you up to speed, remind you where we are in the book of Malachi at this point. If you're new, this will be a refresher for you. If uh, you have been with us, you should not have forgotten this at this point, all right? We're only two weeks in, and so I want to encourage you as we work through the text to be reminded of what God is doing, what God is up to with His people. As we kept here in Chapter 2, these verses, we're reminded of what God has been doing up until this point in the nation of Israel. We've seen where they're struggling. We've seen where they are deficient in their worship of Him. The book of Malachi is primarily a book about worship. And so God's people are questioning whether or not God is doing what He said He's going to do. They're questioning whether or not God is fulfilling what he has promised. They are looking and longing for a Messiah to come that will save them, but they've not yet seen God fulfill that promise. Now, what we know, being able to look backwards, is that it would be another 400 years before God would send his son Jesus to this earth. And so they are in a period of waiting, and they're questioning and wondering, is God really good? Is God really doing what he says that he's going to do? And that affected the way they were worshiping the Lord. In fact, they were questioning whether or not, as we saw in the first week, in the first part of chapter one, whether God even loved them or not. They were wondering, if God's not fulfilling what we think he ought to do on our timetable, does God even love us? And we were reminded that God does love us. And God's love for us is not based on our circumstances. God's love for us is unconditional. And as a result of that, that should affect the way in which we worship Him. We saw last week that even in God's response here, that He loves them, He does call out their worship. And he says to them that they are simply half-hearted in their worship. That they are not worshiping him with their full heart. In fact, in the sacrificial system in the old covenant, they were supposed to bring the best that they had in offering to the Lord. And the Lord indicts them and says, you're just bringing the leftovers. And we talked about that last week. What does it look like for us to bring God just what's left over in our lives. 
And that God is deserving of so much more than our leftovers. That God is deserving of our entire hearts directed towards him in worship. I want you to notice what happens at the beginning of verse 2. God's attention is going to shift from the people in Israel and their half-hearted worship to the leaders in the temple in Israel and them facilitating half-hearted worship. And as we read in the text, God is none too pleased with that. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down this main idea that's gonna frame our time together in the text. And it's this truth, empowering godly leaders in the church is vital to her worship and her witness. Empowering godly leaders in the church is vital to her worship and to her witness. And so I want us to take a glimpse of what's going on in Israel at this point. I want us to look at what God says to the priests, those who are seeking to lead the people in worship, their deficiencies where God says they are lacking, where they are experiencing his judgment. And I want us to make the connection. What does that look like in the church today? What does it look like in the church today when churches empower ungodly leaders? And then by contrast, what happens when churches empower godly leaders? I've had conversations even this past week of the incredible damage that ungodly leaders who are put in positions of authority within churches as pastors and other leaders, the damage that they can do in wreaking havoc in the church and in the lives of believers. And I want you to know, you may have come in this morning and that is your experience My hope and my prayer is that you will find encouragement this morning. I want you to notice the first truth that we see in verses one through three is that empowering ungodly leaders in the church invites God's judgment. I want you to notice beginning in verse one, it says, now priests... So God's moved on from talking to the people of saying to them, you are simply bringing leftovers to me in worship. You are bringing sacrifices that are not what I've called you to bring. It doesn't demonstrate a heart that is fully devoted to me. He says, now priests. So we're moving from the people to the leaders who are put in charge of making this system work. And he says to the priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. He says, indeed, I've already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. And behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread, here's where it gets graphic, right? Dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings. 
and you shall be taken away with it. Graphic. But yet what is going on in the nation of Israel at this point is very graphic. In fact, we saw last week this half-hearted worship, but I want you to notice that the Lord here is looking at the people and he says, listen, you're bringing half-hearted worship, but then he moves to the leaders who were within the temple and he says to the priests who were in there, who were functioning much like pastors, he's saying to them, you are facilitating this. You who should be leading the people to worship me rightly, you are allowing this, and not only allowing this, but encouraging this, and accepting this, and promoting this, and lifting this up as if this should be worship to me. And don't you realize that what you are bringing before me is not true worship? And he says to these priests, My judgment is upon you. I want you to notice God takes incredibly serious His name and His fame. God takes seriously the worship of His name. And He says here to these priests, you are facilitating false worship, half-hearted worship of the people. And God looks at these leaders and he says, I am holding you accountable for this. So let's ask the question. This is going on in Israel at this point in time, but but what about now? See, the same thing happens today as well. And you may have experienced that as a believer. You may have been involved in a church where this has been an issue where ungodly leadership was in place that facilitated something that was so far and perverted from what God has called the church to look like. And you have experienced pain and heartbreak because of that. I want you to know God sees that. God is not in a position where he's sitting back, not paying attention. And there is pain and there is hurt that is brought about when this takes place. In the nation of Israel at this point, God is looking at the leaders in the temple and he is saying to them, you have to be kidding me. Out of everyone, you should know that what's going on is a perversion of what should be taking place. And God says to them, I'm holding you accountable for that. As we move forward in the scriptures, as we move into the church, as we see Jesus, what we're reminded of is that Jesus is the true shepherd. Jesus is the model for what it means for a pastor to function. I want you to notice that The New Testament takes in great care of laying out what godly leadership should look like in the church. God is not half-hearted about this. 
God does not look at his church and say, listen, just find somebody who is incredibly charismatic, who speaks well and can administrate proficiently, and regardless of what their character looks like, raise them up and make them a leader. That's not what God's word says. And unfortunately, so many churches look and say, that's what we want. We want that for a leader. I want you to notice that as we see in the text this morning, as we see throughout the New Testament, that God's more concerned about a leader's character than he is about their abilities. And I want you to hear me, church. There are pastors, there are ministry leaders within churches that are incredibly talented but do not walk with Jesus. And as you read the headlines, you see that on display. As you see pastors fall, as you see things that take place financially within churches, as you read the headlines on whatever news source you go to, it doesn't take long. I read one just this past week of a pastor in Houston, Texas that was caught embezzling millions and millions of dollars in a fraud scheme and is going to federal prison. And I look at that and my heart breaks because I know that that's not It's not what God has called those in ministry leadership to do. And you say, yeah, but 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 maybe it's not that big of a deal. I can point you to countless people who have walked away from the church because of that type of experience. Countless people who say, I want nothing to do with Jesus because my connection to him was through someone like that. I want you to notice, church, God takes it very seriously. I want you to know that it's something that I, as one of your pastors, take seriously. It does not matter how well I preach on Sunday morning if I'm not walking with Jesus. It doesn't matter how many buildings we build if I'm not leading my family well. And yet, if we're not careful, the focus solely will be on those things you preach well, if you lead well, if you build buildings, if people show up, if the world would look and say that this church is a success. But I want you to hear me. If your pastoral staff, if the ministry leadership of this church doesn't have a thriving, growing relationship with Jesus Christ, God's curse is on this place as well as any other church. Say, Michael, you're kind of getting harsh here. I'm just reading the text. It's what God's word says. 
And if we open our eyes and we look in our culture, we will see people who walk away from the Lord because of this. People who walk away from the church because they've experienced this. We see it happen in the nation of Israel. We see it happening today. But I want you to notice the contrast is also true. Empowering godly leaders in the church invites God's blessing. So empowering ungodly leaders invites God's judgment, but empowering godly leaders invites God's blessing. Where God's desire is to bless his people and that takes place under godly leadership. And so as we look here, what we see God's heart breaking about is the ungodly leaders who are leading the people and God's curse comes as a result of that. But the flip side is true and we see it at times through the nation of Israel where God's people are being led by incredibly godly leaders and God's blessing is on his people. And the same thing holds true today in the church. Where God is blessing his church because the church is committed to empowering godly leaders to lead her. I want you to notice in verses four through six this second truth. Empowering ungodly leaders in the church cheapens God's covenant with his people. Notice beginning in verse four. The Lord says, so shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi, the Levites were one of the tribes in Israel that had the responsibility of leading the people in worship. They were tasked as the priests in the temple. And he says, my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one, listen to this, of life and peace. And I gave those to him. Levi was a godly leader. He was a godly priest. And God said, my covenant with him was one of blessing. It was to bring life. It was to bring peace. He continues on. It was a covenant of fear. And he feared me. He had reverence for my name. He stood, listen to this, in awe of my name. So notice what the Lord is saying here. This covenant with his people that God has set apart Levi and his descendants to lead the people in worship, to facilitate what's going on in their sacrifices to him. And he says, this was a covenant of life. This was a covenant of peace. This was... A covenant where he honored my name. He's going to continue and say he offered, in verse 6, true instruction in his mouth. And no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. And he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. And people should seek instruction from his mouth. He is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. And in what's going on in the nation of Israel in this book, 
in this time in their history. The covenant that God had made of how he was to be worshipped, of how his people were to be led to worship was being broken at this point. In fact, as we look at what's going on here, it was a situation where his covenant was cheapened. Where his name wasn't valued, where his name wasn't honored. It was a situation where his people were being led astray by those who should have been leading them to the presence of the Lord. And what happens when ungodly leaders are set up in churches is that they cheapen the covenant of God. When ungodly leaders are set in a place of authority, when they are leading people astray, it cheapens God's covenant. In fact, it blasphemes the name of the Lord. When his church is led astray, his church that his son laid his life down to secure, it is nothing more than trampling on the blood of Jesus Christ. God takes this seriously. This is not half-hearted about what's going on in the nation of Israel at this point. But I want you to notice the contrast of this is true. When godly leaders are empowered in the church, it values God's covenant with his people. See, church family, here's the truth. Regardless of who is in leadership at North River Church, your heartbeat, your desire, the greatest longing of your heart should be the best for the body of Christ and that is godly leadership. You should not be willing to entertain ungodly leadership. And I want you to know as we look for pastoral staff, as we look for people to come in and to serve, that is at the top of my priority list. I've seen the havoc that can be wrecked in churches with ungodly leaders, where the church is cheapened in its value, where people simply use the church for their own gain. It breaks the heart of God. It should break our heart to see it take place because God loves his church. He gave his life for his church. I want you to notice as we keep going in verse seven through nine, this third truth, empowering ungodly leaders in the church compromises God's work in the world. He gave us what should be taking place. The lips of a priest should guard knowledge in verse seven. People should seek instruction from his mouth. He's a messenger of the Lord. Here's an what he says in verse eight, but here's the truth of what's going on in Israel. You have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people. Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, 
but show partiality in your instruction. I want you to notice that ungodly leaders compromise the church's witness. Hear me. The world is looking at the church wondering if there's something different about her. People that you work with and that you go to school with, people that you live next door to that know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, they want to know, is there something different about their life? Is there something different about what God has done in them? And then that expands to our church. That they look and they wonder, what's North River Church like? And here, what we see taking place is that the world around Israel was looking at what was taking place within the temple, and they were saying, you're saying this about the God that you worship, but you're allowing all of that to be trampled, and they are looking and saying to Israel, there's nothing different about you. You're empowering ungodly leaders who are leading you astray. You must not take seriously the worship of God. We might as well stay where we are. We might as well keep worshiping the false gods we're worshiping. There's nothing about your life or your people that is any different. The same thing holds true for churches today. The world is looking And every time an ungodly leader is unmasked, people look at the church and say things like, that's what I thought. Yeah, I knew they were a bunch of hypocrites. I knew that they just said things that they don't really believe and it doesn't change their lives. I want you to notice that the opposite of that can also be true, though. That empowering godly leaders in the church magnifies God's work in the world. Ungodly leaders compromise God's witness in the world, but godly leaders leading godly churches magnify God's work in the world. And I want you to take this to heart and I want you to remain committed to this as a church family that under no circumstances are we as a church willing to compromise God's work in this world under no circumstances do I want someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ to look at North River Church and say, see, I thought that's what they were like. I want them to look and to see a group of people who are enamored with who Jesus Christ is, who are sitting in awe and worship of Him, who are led by pastors and ministry leaders who are the exact same way. And the question is, how do we ensure that? I don't think Israel woke up one day and said, you know, it'd be a good idea if we got ungodly leaders in here. And I don't think most churches do the same thing.
but I want you and I want me and the rest of our staff here to commit to one another that the greatest thing that you and that I can do is to walk with Jesus daily. The greatest thing that you and I can do is to remain tethered to His Word regardless of what it may cost us. Because here's the thing. There is one person whose opinion matters about North River Church and it's God's. And he sees our hearts. He sees what happens in the dark. He knows what is going on in our lives. And so for us, we should make a commitment to one another to lift one another up. My greatest desire for you is not that you make a lot of money and have a great job, though that would be great. My greatest desire for you is not that your kids will have all A's in school. Some of you have already given up. (laughs) My greatest desire for our church is not that we build another building. Not that we double in size. My greatest desire for you and for our church family collectively is that we are growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what matters. And I want you to pray for your leaders here at North River Church. I give you permission to ask those hard questions like, Pastor, how's your walk with Jesus going? That's an awkward question, isn't it? You're like, you're supposed to be asking me that question, not me ask you that question. Oh, no. There's a measure of accountability that you as a church family have with your pastoral staff. I want you to know something. We are not untouchable. We are not above you. We are simply walking life beside you with a desire to live for Jesus, to lead you to live for Jesus, to lead you to lead your families to walk with Jesus. That's our heartbeat. What we see in the nation of Israel is broken and heartbreaking. My prayer and my heartbeat is that what we will see here in this church family is not something that's broken and heartbreaking, but is thriving because of a commitment to empower godly leaders to hold them accountable, to pray for them, to encourage them, to intercede on their behalf. Because the world is watching. Our testimony in this community is important. It matters. And I want you to hear from my heart, church, I'm committed that under no circumstances would there ever be a time where it's tarnished. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me and
close your eyes this morning. I know that this is a different kind of week, but I think it's an important week. There's not a passage of scripture that we cover that is not exactly what God desires for us to hear. And I know this week, as difficult as a passage this may have been, it's what we needed today. We needed to be reminded of the danger of ungodly leaders leading God's people astray. We needed to be reminded of what it looks like for godly leaders to lead God's people to worship Him rightly. You may have come in this morning and you bring in hurt and pain, disappointment, because of exactly what we talked about today. Ungodly leaders in the church who've brought that about in your life. I want you to know that God loves you. God hurts with you. And it is not what he desires. And if there's hurt and pain, I want to encourage you to lay it at his feet. He already knows what's going on in your heart. He can bring healing and restoration to your soul. Maybe you came in this morning and you've been turned off from church because of something like this. And you've said things like, if this is what the church is like, I don't want anything to do with her. And yet this morning, you've begun to glimpse a little bit of hope. I want to encourage you in that. God loves his church. Jesus laid his life down for his church. And it's messy and it's broken at times, but it's still vital in the life of a believer. And maybe this morning you need to recommit, even in the hurt and even in the pain, even in the hypocrisy, that if Jesus loves his church, I will too. You may be here this morning and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your savior. You have an opportunity today to take that step. I'd love to meet with you after the service and the foyer as soon as we begin to sing and share with you what it looks like to take that step of trusting Jesus as your Savior. And then church family, I want to ask you, would you commit to praying for your leaders here at North River. Your pastoral staff, your ministry leaders, committee leaders, would you ask God to work in our lives that we would remain committed to a growing and abiding relationship with Him?
that we would be protected from the attacks of Satan. That this church would be known for standing firm on God's Word, for standing firm on having godly leaders lead her. Father, we thank You again for Your Word. Would You encourage? Would You heal? Would You bring hope? Would You transform lives? Would You ignite Your people in passion for Your name and Your fame in this community? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and would you sing?